0: H-E-L-P dot com slash sober. But did you know that chronic stress can actually change your brain? And just like everything else we talk about, it can change the brain in ways that makes it easier to be stressed or to turn to something like alcohol to attempt to cope. In this episode, you'll learn what chronic stress does to the brain, results from the 2022 Stress in America survey, and how you can turn some bad stress into good stress so it has less power over you. So let's dig in. Welcome back to the Silver Powered Podcast. I'm Jill, and today we're talking stress. The 2022 Stress in America survey conducted by the American Institute of Stress and the American Psychiatric Association found that of those who participated in the poll, 81% were stressed out about supply chain issues, 87% are stressed out about inflation, which was compared to 59% in 2021. And 65% of Americans reported feeling stressed about money and the economy, which is the highest this number has been in over six years. 25% of the participants said that they drank more alcohol to try to cope with the increasing stress that they were feeling. And 58% said they had undesired weight fluctuations due to stress. A record 70% of parents reported that they were under extreme stress about their children's academic, social, and emotional development. That is a ton of stress. And if we don't do anything to learn to manage our stress in healthy ways, it's really easy to turn to things like alcohol and food to attempt to cope. In last week's episode, I talked about how people who struggle to cope could possibly have an overactive medial prefrontal cortex, and the issue with one part of the brain being overactive is other parts likely have to become less active to compensate. The brain can only do so much at one time. It can't be all hyped up and doing a bunch of different tasks all at once. Seizures occur because the brain becomes overactive and a bunch of stuff is happening at once, leading to brain activity becoming irregular. So to keep the brain healthy, when one part is overactive, other parts become less active to try to protect us. When we experience chronic stress or high stress situations, we may have symptoms like low energy, change in appetite, change in emotions, difficulty with remembering things, cloudy thinking, and being unable to focus. It's believed that when one part of the brain is really active, other parts don't have as much energy to do their jobs, which is why high amounts of stress will cause problems with memory, attention, and focus. Because those tasks are not super critical When you're in a high stress situation and your brain thinks it's under threat, so less energy is devoted to the part of the brain that controls memory, attention, and focus. Studies have found that chronic stress can change the brain. Animal studies have found that animals that experience chronic stress have less activity in the prefrontal cortex, which is our thinking, rational part of the brain. And they have more activity in the amygdala which is the part of the brain that focuses on survival, so fight or flight mode, and the part that controls emotions like fear and anxiety. The idea here is that since chronic stress was continuously activating the amygdala, it became stronger. And since the prefrontal cortex wasn't being utilized as much, it became weaker. This is designed to help our survival because if you're under threat and in danger all the time, then the part of the brain that helps you survive should be strong. And the part of the brain that helps you pay attention, make decisions, and control your impulses is less important. There are a few things that make stress more damaging for us. When the stress is unpredictable, when there's no end in sight, and when we don't have support to help us deal with it. Animal studies have found that when the animal received a shock after a light turned on, So after a cue, the stress was less intense than if they received the shock randomly. So sudden, unexpected stress is a lot more damaging to the brain than stress that you're anticipating. When we feel stress, the amygdala sends signals to the hypothalamus, which controls hormones like cortisol. And when we're experiencing long-term frequent stress, cortisol builds up in the brain and causes health problems. Cortisol isn't bad though, it's a normal part of the way that the body works. But when cortisol levels get too high, there can be problems. So the brain will produce more cortisol than's required and it gets backed up in the brain. All the cortisol that the brain produces isn't dumped out all at once, it has to be released, and only so much can be released at one time. So in chronic stress, the brain is producing cortisol at a faster rate than it's being released, so it gets backed up in the brain. Stress also causes a massive release of glutamate, which we've talked about a lot in relation to anxiety. Glutamate is the main excitatory neurotransmitter in the brain, and as you drink to cope with anxiety one of the changes that occurs is more glutamate being released to try to balance out all the alcohol. This is why you feel 3am or next day anxiety. I talked about anxiety and alcohol in a lot of detail in episodes 22 and 64 if you didn't listen to those yet. So chronic stress leads to even more glutamate in the brain, hyping us up and making our minds very active. Alcohol feels like it's the best way to cope with stress because it instantly calms us down and slows down the overactivity and overthinking that's going on in our brains. That's how I learned to drink. I learned in grad school that when you have stress, you drink and then your stress goes away. So since I had high levels of stress every day for my whole life, I started drinking every day. I mean, it made perfect sense to me until it was too late and I couldn't stop drinking every day. High levels of stress impacts the brain in many ways, but one really interesting one is it makes us want to isolate and be less social, and isolation then fuels drinking to cope. An interesting 2014 study published in Nature Communications looked into why this happens. So before I tell you what they found, I want to quickly review how neurons work. So neurons talk to each other with neurotransmitters, like dopamine, glutamate, GABA, things like that. And that's how messages are sent across the brain. The space between two neurons is called the synapse. And this is where neurotransmitters are released from one neuron, and then they're picked up by the next neuron, so then the message is sent. So this research team looked at neurons in the hippocampus in rats. And the hippocampus is the memory area of the brain. So they found that an adhesion protein called Nectin-3 is required to hold two neurons at the correct distance so they can communicate with each other effectively. Chronic stress actually activated an enzyme that cuts Nectin-3 and prevents it from doing its job. This resulted in the rats avoiding interactions with other rats and they had impaired memory and understanding too. And when the researchers either activated Nectin-3 or inhibited the enzyme that cuts Nectin-3, they found that social skills and cognitive skills were restored in rats. So it seems like chronic stress can impact the brain's ability to communicate with itself. Other studies have found that chronic stress shrinks the prefrontal cortex and increases the size of the amygdala, which is kind of what we were saying earlier, where it weakens the prefrontal cortex and strengthens the amygdala. And if you want to learn more about cortisol and the impact of stress on the body, then go listen to episode 67. And all of these episodes are listed out in the show notes for you. Just like the brain adapts to stress and changes, though, it can adapt back and change again when the chronic stress is resolved in a process called neuroplasticity. We can't control everything, and sometimes we will have long-term, high-stress situations that we just have to get through, but we can control our response to the stress so it isn't as damaging. I think you know what I'm going to say, but to do this, we need coping skills and tools. When I feel very intense levels of stress, my brain sends me messages to drink and blow up my life. I'm not sure why my brain thinks that that's a helpful thing to do, but that's the message that I get. It's a completely automatic thought, but at the same time, I know that I can't drink and then get back on track. I recognize I really would blow up my life if I drank. So, I don't indulge these thoughts. The ones that are a bit harder for me, though, and something that my members and I were actually talking about in our meeting last night are the thoughts that come after I dismiss the idea of drinking. I start to think about other self destructive things that I could do that aren't as self-destructive as drinking. They're things that would immediately calm me down and my mind tells me I could just dabble in a little bit of destructive behavior and then move on when I start to feel better. Those thoughts are really dangerous though and you might even have those thoughts about alcohol that you could just do it this one time and then get back on track. What I realize, though is that Even though dabbling in a little bit of self-destruction would help me in the immediate moment, it doesn't do anything to actually help with my stress. It's not a solution to my problem, it doesn't make me feel better long-term, and it doesn't help me process things and find a way to move through them. I think what helps me the most is perspective, which probably sounds super dumb, But a main part of sobriety is being realistic with our expectations, and it's the same thing for stress. I'm attempting to run a business, and having your own business is not stress-free. There's a reason that most people don't own their own business. So I need to accept that high-stress situations are just a part of my job. We can't expect a stress-free, easy life just because we're sober. We're still going to have challenges, letdowns, and unexpected stress, but sobriety gives us the opportunity to deal with these situations without destroying ourselves and then convincing ourselves that it's self-care, relaxation, or just a one-time thing. And it's not all bad, though. Like I said, stress is a normal part of life. This doesn't mean that every time you feel stressed, your brain is being damaged and changing in ways that make things worse. Research suggests that good stress helps the brain change in positive ways and it strengthens networks in the brain that make us more resilient. We talked a lot about resilience in last week's episode, so make sure to check that out. But resilience is all about being able to adapt and persevere without shutting down, self-destructing, avoiding, or numbing out. You might be thinking, what is good stress? I only have bad stress. Good stress is when you feel excited or a little bit nervous, but you're not afraid or threatened. Examples of good stress would include roller coasters, horror movies, or video games, going on a first date, and depending on the person, it could be work-related stress, like the feeling that you have before you give a presentation or how you feel when you're working towards a promotion. If you're in a toxic job, though, and you're chronically stressed about it, that's not good stress. We can turn some bad stress into good stress, though, by working on our perspective and developing some tools. Shifting your perspective is really hard, and that takes practice. I used to defeat myself with my negative, why bother, everything sucks, nothing will ever work out for me attitude. Sobriety helped me shift this though, but it did take time and work. If you can see some of your bad stuff as just a normal part of life like I see my business stress as a normal part of my career that I will always have to face, instead of looking at it like, why me? Nothing will ever work out for me type of stuff. Then it'll help shift the stress from chronic unhealthy stress to more of a challenge. Sometimes it's impossible though to shift your perspective and turn chronic stress into less of a horrible thing though. And in those situations, we just have to get through the experience without drinking and use all the tools we've learned so far in sobriety to get through it in the healthiest way possible. So not every situation can be reframed. What helps me though is recognizing how my thoughts make my situation worse. I tend to ruminate amplify and obsessively think about stressful situations to try to find a solution to it. Sometimes things are completely out of my control though and I have to wait on other people before I can do something. In that case, obsessing about it every second and losing sleep over it is not helpful. I've been working really hard to try to disconnect and give myself a time limit Running the same thoughts and scenarios in my head over and over for hours doesn't get me anywhere. Disconnecting and living my life will help me stay calm and alert so when I can take the next step, I'm not all overwhelmed, defeated, and freaked out. So if this is a struggle for you too, then keep working on learning some tools and coping skills. Be willing to try new things and don't write off the boring self-care things like walking, listening to music, taking a bath or journaling before you even try them. Those are the things that actually end up helping. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd love it if you could take a second and leave a five-star rating and a review because it really helps the show get discovered easier by people who need this information. And I will talk to you next week.